Hello, hello. I'm so excited to talk to you today about the cycle that we get stuck in in relationships, particularly those partnerships that are we, we seem to be maybe stuck in a rut or we keep having the same old fights and not getting the same results and or getting the similar results and not getting different results and and a way to communicate better. Um, most the, probably the number one people, one, one of the number one things people call in for couples counseling for is communication issues. It just seems like my partner isn't hearing me. They're not getting me. We can't communicate some version of that. And all of that really comes down to understanding and knowing your cycle. And this isn't like, it's a cycle that can become very predictable, very manageable. And when we understand the really good reasons why all of us do the things that we do, we can better respond to ourselves and our partner and, and better get our needs met. So our communication becomes clear, not only with ourselves but with our partner. So I'm going to give you a whole bunch of examples today, dive into cycles and why they're important and, and really why, where we get stuck. Um, and, and if you're finding yourselves in this place, if this is resonating with you and we've tried to identify it and we're working at it, but we can't seem to get, past just talking about it, therapy is a really great option because you have a, a neutral third party to really be able to help you navigate through some of these really tricky parts and some of the things that we don't, our self-awareness, maybe we're just not self-aware. And that's okay um, because sometimes this is the first time we're really diving into understanding things for ourselves um, and how we feel about things. And so it's exploring that together. That's what therapy really is, is all about. <clears throat> and doing so in a safe way that your partner can be responsive to you. So I'm gonna introduce a couple of things. Um, I might do a, some deeper podcasts on these uh, to explain a little bit later, but um, I wanna start off with talking about kind of the window of tolerance. So when we talk about the window of tolerance in couples therapy, we're talking about the window of tolerance of people being able to sit in emotion. And everybody has a kind of an exit point, right? A point where it's like, this is too much, this is too hard, and they sort of hit the eject button, get me out of here. So we just, some people have really short window of tolerance and other people have really long win windows of tolerance. And, and really when relationships get hard and when our, our amygdala starts firing up and we start to go into that fight, flight, freeze mode and our needs aren't being met, we start to really kind of panic and that panic looks different for every person. And, and I can't say panic. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say panic. We go into that fight, flight, freeze mode. These protective parts of ourselves come out. And, and sometimes that happens in split seconds for some people. And other times it's, you know, like I said, people can tolerate being in that experience for longer periods of time. So, um, in talking about the window of tolerance, I just want to sort of give you that reference so that you can kind of think about this of like every window, everybody's window of tolerance is a little bit different. Your partner is going to have a different level of tolerance than I do, um, than, than every person. And so, and they may have a higher tolerance with boredom um, and with different emotions, the window of tolerance can change. And so, you know, typically, um, if you have a high tolerance for high window, open window for 
tolerance of emotion, typically across the board, you're going to have a higher window, a higher tolerance. Um, for those who don't, they then have a, a shorter fuse or window of tolerance, and it be, can become really tricky to have um, open communication, to have clear communication for them to be, be self-aware. And when they start to break that window of tolerance, it looks a little different for every person. So when someone's window of tolerance has been reached and they're hitting the eject button, hitting that eject button looks different for every person. In, in couples therapy or in um, EFT specifically, we're looking at kind of what those behaviors then look like. How does a person start to protect themselves? And we typically talk about this in, in either pursuing or withdrawing. <clears throat> so when I'm, experience, when I'm experiencing emotion, particularly hard emotion, heavy emotion, it's I'm hurting, I'm in pain, um, something's happening, um, it, it, that I'm feeling, I'm feeling discomfort, I'm feeling overwhelmed. We have sort of a way of tolerating with that, right? So we can either flip into kind of hyperdrive and we can become what we call pursuing, or we could start to shut down and we, we start to pull away, um, maybe walk away, get out of the situation, shut down, avoid, withdraw, distract. Um, there's lots of ways that people do that. So when I, when we reach our window of tolerance, we sort of have, we have three options, right? We can either expand our window of tolerance and get more comfortable in sitting in these emotions, or we can start to pursue and become really agitated. Um, and some people, uh, pursuers often are kind of seen as sort of loud and, um, very sort of forceful, demanding, and they, they certainly can be, but it can also be very, very subtle. It can be little things like um, maybe small demands, like I really need you to be home at five o'clock, or I really need you to get you know this specific type of chip from the grocery store. And when our partner doesn't do that, then we start to maybe criticize or look at all the other ways that they're failing us, right? Like this must mean you don't love me. You don't listen to me. You don't care about me. Um, and so we start to make kind of some assumptions or we start to tell ourselves certain things based on the response of the other person. So uh, pursuers, again, there's sort of a level of pursuing, right? It can be really loud. If we've done this dance 1200,000 times, I might be a little louder. I might be a little less easy to please. Um, I might demand more. I might be more critical. All of these things absolutely happen for pursuers when their window of tolerance is reached. For withdrawers, it looks a lot more like uh, maybe I pick up my phone. Maybe I, you know, do do a uh, search through what latest sports fans are going on or what sporting events or. Um, read the news or go for a walk or turn on the TV, walk away, go into the bathroom, whatever. It, it's a lot of times for withdrawers, it's about avoiding the discomfort. And, and I'm feeling really uncomfortable. I'm feeling really uh, intolerable in the moment. Um, this is really painful. I'm scared. They fear what 
how their partner is going to respond to them, how they're being responded to. They don't know what's going to happen. I just want to go back to normal. And so their best way to get back into this kind of comfort zone is to avoid, to shut down, to um, not say anything. You know, maybe if I give her a few minutes, an hour, she will, she'll calm down. She won't, she, I'll leave her alone. And, you know, she's telling me to leave her alone or he's telling me like he doesn't want me around. So I'll just leave him alone. So on the outside, they're typically seeing something from their partner that's uncomfortable and their response is to shut down or withdraw or to avoid their partner. Um, and really not necessarily avoid their partner, but avoid the pain, avoid fear, avoid knowing, you know, figuring out how am I feeling about that? They just, they want to, they want to get back to that, like even keel, no responsiveness, sort of just kind of like we're normal. We're in this normal zone. We want to get back to that. And so their way of doing that is to avoid um, or withdraw in some way. And again, on the opposite of that, we have our pursuers and pursuers can do a very, just like we can withdraw at different levels. You know, we might walk away. We might stumble something under our breath, mumble something under our breath. Um, we might, there, there's all sorts of ways that people can withdraw, um, but there's also lots of ways that people can become pursuant of their partner. Both are really wanting the same thing. They're both longing to return to this, to this normalcy, this easiness of kind of responding to myself, responding to my partner, get back to like baseline, right? And, and oftentimes baseline, it, again, can be different for every relationship, but they, they are normalcy, our normal, our baseline, what's, what's working for us and how do I respond to that? How do I get back to that? And oftentimes, sometimes it's days, sometimes it's weeks before couples will return to kind of their baseline, depending on how big or how explosive the responses have been, right? And it doesn't mean we're not talking abusive levels here. We're not talking about like yelling and screaming so much that, you know, cops are being called or anything like that. But just like, for example, um, a very common one is that I, I mentioned the chips at the store, right? Or I asked my partner to do something and as a pursuer um, that it, it doesn't happen. Right. It doesn't happen in the way that I expected it to happen or the way I expected it to go. And so I start to panic. I start to my fight, flight, freeze mode starts to come on and I start to think, holy crap, what's going to happen next? How are we going to get out of this? Um, does this mean, you know, he, he doesn't care about me. He doesn't love me. Um, you know, he's always he's so selfish. He always does things for himself. He never thinks about me. Um, I can never trust him. My mom said I should never trust him. You know, I just plan on doing everything myself. All of those things start to just come, come at us. Right. And, and when, if we are pursuers, we tend to start to panic in that moment and, and panic, not necessarily having panic attacks, but we start to get dysregulated. And in that way we get dysregulated, our thoughts come online and we start to tell ourselves lots of kind of crazy, awful things about the relationship, about ourselves. 
and the way we try to normalize those thoughts is in pursuing our partner or pursuing. And, and oftentimes that looks like on the outside, what we might see is being short, being snappy, being very critical of our partner. Um, my mom said, I should never trust you. Those short snarky comments, remarks, um, can be really easy to go to when we are pursuing our partner. Um, I myself am a pursuer. I am married to a withdrawer. Um, it is pretty typical that females tend to be more of a pursuer and males tend to be more of a withdrawer, but that's not always the case either. Um, you know, just societally we're raised a little differently and boys are typically taught to shut down their emotion and, you know, something happens, I get hurt, someone makes fun of me, I get bullied and they go and ask for help. And they, a, a typical response for most males is buck up some version of that, right? Like be a man, um, shut it down. Right. And so quit, quit crying or I'll give you something to cry about is often something that I hear that my client, my male clients have been told growing up. And so they learn from a very pretty young age to shut down that emotion. So it does become pretty typical that males tend to shut down their emotions. Females can do it too. There are a lot of female withdrawers out there. Typically, um, the most common pattern found between couples is a, is a withdrawer and pursuer with a male being the withdrawer and a female being the pursuer. However, that oftentimes can be switched as well. Typically there is a partner that is a pursuer and one that's a withdrawer. And so finding out what you are, right? Like it, looking at and really becoming aware of how do I respond when my sort of amygdala starts going off, when I start feeling unsafe, when I start feeling overwhelmed, when I start feeling um, questioning the relationship, questioning my partner, questioning myself, how do I respond, right? And that, by looking at that, that'll help you kind of decide, am I a pursuer or am I a withdrawer? And it's oftentimes that, you know, sometimes maybe in the relationship, I'm, I'm a pursuer, but maybe with coworkers um, or areas that I don't feel quite as confident, I might be a withdrawer. Um, and so you can, you can do both. It's healthy for people to do both. Uh, but typically in a relationship, we're going to find a pattern that, that sort of feels good to us and we're going to respond in a certain way. And so taking a look at that and becoming aware of how am I responding to my partner? How am I responding to when things start to maybe not go so well in our relationship? How am I responding? Um, that'll help you really own your move in your cycle. And the more you can own your move, you can see how that your move then affects your partner. Because what we often see happen in couples and why communication becomes very unclear and and sort of the, the pipes get clogged a little bit and and it's not clear communication we're unable to clearly communicate our needs to our partner is because we feel like they they don't get us right but the ways that we're responding or being responded to are actually heightening our fears and the way that we are responding to our partner is actually heightening their fears or their, um, the, the way they view themselves, the way they view 
relationships, um, it's sort of hitting on that and can be really quite scary, right? Um, and so we have to learn how to respond to that differently and really become more aware of that. So awareness is key. We cannot change anything unless we are aware of it. And, and so if you're finding communication or kind of these, these rough spots in your, in your relationship, really kind of examining what's my response to this? First and foremost, how do I become more aware of it? How do I own my move in this cycle? Um, why? Why do I do that? Examining that, right? Um, so as I said, I'm the pursuer. I tend to be a little bit more anxious than, than my partner. And so when things aren't going well, I often get really snappy, really short, sometimes sort of storm around the house, depending on my level of stress or frustration. I may be like a Tasmanian devil, spinning around my house, cleaning lots of things, or I don't know, sort of like shoving things in a corner or whatever. Like I just, I, I sort of storm around the house is kind of the best way to, I can descri describe it. Sort of have that kind of grumpy, like life isn't fair sort of mode about me. And when I get into those modes, depending on how severe that response is, uh, my, my husband typically has responded in shutting down. He's gets out of my way, right? If I'm Tasmanian devil and I'm doing this little spinning cyclone through our house, I'm going to protect myself by moving out of the way, right? I don't want to go towards the, the cyclone. I don't want to go. I don't want to get sucked into that. I don't want to feel that pain. I don't want to go there. I don't want to feel discomfort. Um, and so he avoids me. But in those moments are often the moments where I feel more alone in the relationship, more like uh, maybe he doesn't care or he's done something or hasn't done something that I've asked him to or that we've talked about doing or my expectations have not been met, fairly or unfairly, communicated or not communicated. Um, and so oftentimes that will that will um, kind of spark a fight for us. And when it sparks a fight for us, we then go into these, these patterns, right? So I pursue, he withdraws. The more I pursue, the more cyclone-y I get. The bigger my cyclone gets, the more he avoids me. The more he avoids me, the more I tell myself, he doesn't care about me, I'm not wanted, he doesn't, he only cares about himself those sort of messages go on in my head. And the more those messages then continue to go on in my head, the more he avoids, right? And uh, so it's really taking that ownership of, okay, what is it that I need in that moment? What I actually need is for him to show up for me and for me to ask for that, right? And so in me doing it different, it might look like noticing that I'm sort of spiraling and, and circling around the house and being able to sort of pause myself enough to then ask in a way that isn't snappy, isn't short, isn't critical, or maybe has a lesser harsh tone to it of, hey babe, I really need you here with me right now. I need you to help me with this. I'm feeling really frustrated or really overwhelmed, whether it be because of him or in spite of him or 
whatever. And, and I, at being able to clearly ask for that, he's able to then show up for me and we're able to stay closer. Um, when I don't, he then, right, if we get into this cycle, he then goes away and gets upset. And sometimes like we don't talk about it for days or he avoids because he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to feel sorry. He doesn't want to feel dis- like I've disappointed him. He's disappointed me, let me down. That's a very painful place for him. Um, he doesn't want to feel like a failure. And so that, that cycle that we get stuck in can get bigger. And just as I pursue, he then withdraws. Where did I learn that from? I learned how to do that from my parents. That's just, that was the same kind of cycle my parents got in and, uh, and, that, and that's where I learned how to respond. You know, that's how I thought that you're supposed to respond to stress because so you're supposed to become more stressed and you're not supposed to ask for help and you're supposed to, you know, freak out when people are coming over to your house or get stressed when you're having a party or whatever, like whatever it is, there's, there's things that I learned growing up from my life experiences, um, living with different people throughout the years, you know, this is how you're you're supposed to respond. And it's not. Um, the best response is then asking for your partner to respond in a different way, but that's what I thought, right? So that's that's the experience that I have and that's where I go to. And it's breaking that, it's becoming more aware of that and breaking that. Um, the same, same goes for my husband, right? As he's responded, as he's learned to respond to me differently, um, he's been able to show up for me in those moments. And rather than you know, as he sees this Tasmanian devil sort of getting frustrated and going around being busy, um, that's sort of his cue that I need him and I need him to show up for me. And so rather than sort of ducking and taking cover, which I don't blame him for at all, um, I, I get why he does it, but it also then feels very lonely for me. And so at the same time, he's able to show up differently for me and I'm able to accept the way he's showing up for me. Um, and it's really helpful in those ways to, to learn your pattern, right? And so as you are, are listening to this, I've given you some examples of my own personal life, but it's very similar to lots of, lots of couples. Um, that's a very normal, typical cycle. Um, but oftentimes that can then spiral again, one person being a pursuer, one person being a responder. So if you're, uh, identify as a female and are listening to this, um, you may find yourself responding in a pursuant way or or as in a withdrawing way. And you may say, you know, that's opposite for me and that's okay. It just really is looking at and about increasing your awareness to, your, your partner to your cycle, to when I get dysregulated, how am I responding? What are my protective parts? What do I, what does that look like for me? Um, and in the way that, that you learn and look at responding to yourself and, and how you respond in different situations, that's really going to help you figure out, you know, what is my response to my, in my relationship with the person that I love the very most and what do I really need and want from them? What am I really longing for in those moments? Um, and the more you can get clear on that, the more clarity that is around that, the more your partner can actually show up for you in the way that you really want them to, both as a pursuer or a withdrawer. Um, in the next couple of episodes, we're gonna go a little bit further into 
what pursuing looks like and what withdrawing looks like and help you maybe identify a little bit more as to, you know, what sort of behaviors you might be doing and uh, how to maybe recognize it. And, and we're going to go into t some tips to, to doing it better. But this is just kind of an overall intro to pursuers, withdrawers, window of tolerance, and, and the, uh, the emotions, the level of emotions, and, and our window of tolerance in being able to sit in those emotions. So this is just an intro. I'm looking forward to our future episodes and being able to talk to you and do a deeper dive into withdrawers and pursuers and, and how we really recognize that for ourselves and, and what do we do different to, to be able to stop it or change it in that moment. So um, stick with us. I'm excited to see you in the next future episodes and thanks for listening.